Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talked to Leon Angus. He is a YouTuber, and I, I met him that way. I watched a few of his videos, and I thought he was pretty cool. So I decided to invite him on the show and see what he's been up to. He's been working on a particular site for about two years. I think at the time that we recorded it, it's uh, just under two years or so. He was making, I believe, up to $1,200 at one point, but he's sort of migrating the site and decided to take this uh, pretty niche down uh, site into something more broad, which is something I encourage people to do. Make sure you don't... uh, paint yourself in the corner early on so you don't have to do this exercise. Anyway, it sounds like he's making about 200 bucks a month and he goes into a lot of detail as far as uh, keyword research. That was actually one of my favorite parts. I enjoy keyword research to some extent. That's a funny way to put it, huh? Keyword research is fine, but he gives us some great tips and explains it in a very simple way that I think people will find, you know, really effective and easy to implement. So I like the keyword golden ratio and he doesn't necessarily uh, use it. I don't, I think he said he's aware of it, but the way he does this uh, sort of competitor analysis is very uh, helpful. I think it's very helpful and a great way for people launching a brand new site or just looking for some fresh, low competition keywords to find them. This episode is brought to you by me and my new course called Haro Link Building. So this is help a reporter out link building. So Haro Link Building. This is a uh, sort of what I believe is a, a pretty pure white hat way to build links. You potentially can get backlinks from you know big news sources or you know just smaller websites, hopefully within your niche. I kind of, I mean, I got to thank Kyle. So Kyle sent me an email uh, months ago. He said, why are you so uh, hard on Haro? I'm actually finding really good success with it. And, you know, let me tell you about it if you're interested. So he and I had an exchange. Then I talked to um, a few other folks, Anthony and Shauna at a skip blast and they said, Hey, I'm finding good success with Haro as well. I've had other conversations with people off the record, not on the show. And I was hearing, you know, very positive things about Haro. I started dabbling myself, playing around with the platform, taking what I learned from uh, those individuals. And then I put my own spin on a couple things and then I launched a course. So this is uh, coming out today. If you're listening to this on the 19th of October, 2020, then it is uh, fresh out there and it's the first time you're able to uh, check it out. This is pretty much a repeatable process. It's very effective. You do have to you know, figure out your footing and you know, make sure that you're doing it in, in a way that's uh, sort of sustainable for you. The coolest part is this is something that you can outsource. And this is what Anthony helped, uh, helped me understand is you don't have to baby the process. Once you kind of figure out what you need to do, you can have someone else do it for you, which is fantastic. I mean, we don't want to sit um, in our inbox and just wait to send emails to reporters who need help. All right. I'm going to give you a quick rundown on what is in the course. This is one of those courses where it's not dripped out. I just give you all the material right up front. I think there's uh, 18 videos total at this point. And this is one of those situations where you can watch all the content 
today. You can buy the course, watch everything, start implementing later this afternoon, and start responding to emails you know, tomorrow morning, something like that. Maybe even this afternoon, depending on how late in the day it is. Unit one is on the introduction to Haro. So if you've never used it before, we go over the basic concepts, creating an account and that sort of thing. Unit two is responding to the emails. Reporters put in a request for uh, sources, and that's what you would serve as as a source. And we give you some templates. You have tracking spreadsheets and you know all the systems that we use. Then unit three is getting into outsourcing. So where you can find these VAs, instructions that you can give them, and some of the resources that you really need to provide for the VA so that they can be effective. It is a learning process whenever you are hiring a VA, learning process for the VA and for yourself. We go over that. But once you, once you get things up and running, you should be in great shape. Unit four is actually using Haro as a reporter. And I decided to flip the process on its head to see if I could build links a different way. And I operated on the reporter side instead of the source side of the house, which is, you know, completely different from, you know, what you may think you can do or what you should do. The cool part is you can gain links and I was able to get some pretty crazy links. I was, I think the best one was like a DR, a domain rating of like 70 something. And then some others, you know, there was a a broad range, but you get pretty cool insights on how reporters, um, you know, view the whole process, which can help you be more effective as a source. One thing I, I didn't even mention on the sales page, which there's a link in the show notes here, you could use this information to start a service business. You can start an agency building links using Haro. And in the last several weeks since I've been talking about this, I've seen a few people actually post in a Facebook group and say, hey, I'm doing Haro link building. I'm rolling it out and I'm charging $400 per link, blah, 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 which I mean, if they actually land an excellent link for you, that's fantastic. But I think... um, Honestly, I think they were just getting started. I don't think maybe they were skilled at this yet. They were just trying to offer a service. But the point is, once you kind of get your footing here, this is a service that you could offer. Me personally, I wouldn't want to offer any services. I have no interest in having sort of the the client agency situation. Not my thing, not interested in it. But if someone wanted to start a service, this is going to be a hot one because I think... Most folks are talking about, you know, the standard uh, guest posting, you know, networking. I mean, that's what I talk about most of the time, but this is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more strenuous, a little bit more rigorous. However, you end up with uh, usually much better links out there. That's it for the pitch. I think I probably rambled on for for too long here, but check out the course if you're interested in some uh, white hat link building. If potentially you're interested in uh, starting a service, this course will basically outline the whole process for you and then you can outsource it. I give you a whole unit on outsourcing, including an over-the-shoulder situation where you watch me uh, submit a job posting on Upwork so you can see exactly how I would hire someone. Let's get to the interview with Leon. Leon, what's up? Good to see you, buddy. 
Hello, how's it going, everyone? <laughs> it's a pleasure, pleasure to meet you. And I've I've watched uh, a bunch of your YouTube videos, and you're doing mm -hmm. a great job out there. So I was like, hey, I want to have them on the channel and hear about what's going on. So for the folks that don't know you, can you just mm -hmm. give a short intro? Yeah, um, so I'm London based in the UK, and um, I run like four websites in total. The the one that I'm going to be using throughout the interviews, the first website that I built. And I've also since then built up a, a YouTube following. So I've got quite an established following, not that substantial yet, but um, I've got about 4,000 subscribers and um, I just share valuable information. So I, I tend to document a lot of my uh, journey and um, just share real, real life kind of experiences, you know, and I think that's what people connect with most. Awesome. Very cool. Well, how did you get into affiliate marketing and niche sites in general? So the first thing for me was uh, when I came online, I first of all got into paid advertising. That was the first thing that I did. So there was a few young guys that were like promoting courses and different things. Um, and it was like Tanner, Jay Fox and whatever else. And they were making like a substantial amount of money with affiliate marketing but they were doing like CPA offers and things like that. So that's how I started. And um, I could never really get it to click, like to make consistent profit. But what it did do is obviously it opened the doors to, for me to see that it's possible because I was making some sales here and there, but it was quite a roller coaster. And then I think it was like, there was a certain point where I came across like an income school video and I thought, these guys are getting like huge amounts of traffic, substantial amounts of traffic. And, um, and it's very consistent and reliable, like opposed to the paid advertising. So obviously with paid ads, you have more control because you, you can test and spend money and, and control things a bit better. But at the same time, organic traffic is completely free once you get the ball rolling, you know, so um, to within reason anyway, you know, because you're still putting in work and stuff like that. So that was more attractive to me, especially in the long term, where I was thinking if I can have something that even if I'm not actively working on it, it could still make like a passive kind of income. That was definitely an eye opener for me. And with the, the CPA, that's cost per acquisition. Can you explain a little bit more on that business model for the people that aren't familiar with it at all? Yeah. So the way that works is essentially you go out and find an offer just like you would with an affiliate website. The only difference is I would say when you're building like a, a niche website, you uh, tend to go and target keywords and things like that first. Whereas when you're doing paid ads, you go and find the product first, you know, or if you, I should say that's only for Amazon. If you're moving on to like ClickBank and all different things, you always have to find the product first before you go and create the content. So that's the same way it works with paid ads. You go and source the product, you find a good product that's converting well. And then after that, you're going to go set up like a, a bridge page, like a landing page, you know, and that's going to be the place where you present the product to the customer. And then from there, you go and target a certain demographic or whatever it else it may be, a potential customer of the product. And that's essentially how it works. It's just a three-step process. Um, and that's how I sum up everything, to be honest. I always try and simplify things. So whether you're doing a niche website or whatever it is, there's always that middle step, which is your website. You've got a product on the other hand, and you've got the customer on the other side. So you just have to bridge that gap. So it sounds, obviously, when you simplify it into a three-step uh, situation there, mm. it's pretty simple. But mm. I know... 
I hear from a lot of sort of newer folks and mm. they think, hey, this CPA or the cost mm. per or uh, basically you buy leads or sell leads, mm. they feel like, hey, that's a simpler process. So why is it not consistent? You mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah, so the reason for me mainly was with the advertising, the paid advertising and the testing, because you have to constantly throw money at it. it there's a higher level of like risk and, and what you're comfortable with taking um, when you're running paid ads. Not to say that if I had stuck at it, I wouldn't have succeeded with it because I believe that I would have climbed to probably the levels I'm at now or if not surpassed that with affiliate marketing. So I think you have to also have a general interest in that and be it's your risk tolerance, you know. So because it requires constant testing, like with anything online, um, you know, um, I, I never stuck at it and that's what it was. And then when I kind of saw the, the SEO opportunity, I thought, you know what, like, me putting in work to that up front could, could snowball and benefit me a lot better in, in the long-term future. So that's, that's what kind of led me to, to veer off from, from CPA marketing. Got it. Okay. And we'll get into the actual, you know, affiliate side here in, in one second, but I am curious, I know you're not doing this full time and you have a, a day job. So I'm just curious, you know, what, what do you do for your day job? Like, what, what's yeah. it like? Yeah, so I'm a train driver in the UK. So I drive trains and um, I do that two days a week because when I started out, I was full-time. And then as things started moving a bit better online, I went part-time with that. And eventually, if possible, I'd love to come out of the job completely. I still enjoy the job a lot. So I love the job, love the people, all of that. But um, obviously, if I can get to a certain level online, then um, I'll, pa- I'll pack the job in. Okay. And when you say train, is it like train going from like, you know, across the country or is it just uh, more local? Within the city. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So let's get into your affiliate site. So mm-hmm. let's go back sort of to the beginning. So you, you mentioned yep. it's about two years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, How did you select the niche and sort of the early uh, decisions uh, around keywords? Yeah, so um, for niche selection, I've got like quite a few different videos that I've shared because that process that I took back then has advanced quite a bit now. But how I went about that was funny because I was promoting a CPA product that, that actually was about dogs, yeah, like golden retrievers. And that's how I made the transition in, into into uh the, the website. So I never had a particular process of like e- evaluating opportunities and different things. I just kind of thought I used my common sense and thought, okay, like a dog is like a, a baby. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And um, people are always going to buy for their dogs. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. So then I thought, okay, again, like there was no kind of process or, or, or course or anything that taught me that, but um, I had taken a lot of courses up until that point, though. So maybe that was a bit of, you know, what helped me. But um, I looked at it and thought, okay, I'm not going to go into generic like a dog website because that's going to be very highly competitive. You don't need to kind of know SEO to, to, to know that. Yeah, that's quite common sense. So I thought, okay, if I niche down into one particular type of dog, then I'll have a better opportunity. 
you know so from there the first kind of people I started following was like income school in regards to SEO so I started building up the site with these kind of question keywords you know these low competition keywords and following their process of like doing response posts and whatever else and um, over time I started to realize because I've got a mechanical engineering background prior to driving the trains I was an engineer so I realized that like I started seeing all these other people doing all the technical stuff, you know, and I thought that sound, that looks really attractive to me as well. And I thought you have a little bit more control with, than, than what they're teaching, you know, so their method is very good. But what I understand now is there's, there's two different approaches that you can take. And it all depends on your like kind of ex exit strategy, how you're going to monetize the site and all those different things. So my general approach um, to niche research at this point has changed quite a bit. If you want to know now, like I'll actually go and see some successful websites, whether I'll go and see it on like a marketplace or something like that, and I'll evaluate it. I'll go and, um, go and research some of the general keywords within the industry to see if there's an opportunity for me to rank. And um, my, my keyword research process, as you asked on that as well, I've I've got like I use quite a few different methods to be honest. It depends on what kind of approach. The way I see it is um there's many ways to skin a cat as they say. So sometimes I do like a reverse engineer method, yeah, and I teach that on my channel. So what I do with that is I'll go and like find an easy kind of question keyword that will uh, bring up a lot of low authority sites. So the way I do that is I'll go and source it on like um you know, um, answer the public or something like that. And that's just going to give me a seed keyword. From there, I drum it into my tool. Sometimes I'm using Ahrefs. Sometimes I'm using keysearch.co. Yeah, that's another tool that I use regularly. And what I do is once that I drum that keyword in with, within, the, it's like a niche related keyword, that then brings up hopefully some low authority sites. Like, you know, if I don't get it on the first time, I'll keep drumming in more words. And what I do is once I get those sites coming up, I'll reverse engineer those sites. So I'll go and actually find all the keywords that they're ranking for within the first one to 10 results. And if they got like a DA15 or something and they got like, you know, less than 30 backlinks. And I always check do follow links because those are the ones that count. You know, some people look at the whole link profile and there's a lot of scraped links and all these different things. Whereas it's the do follow links you want to pay attention to. So if I see that it's a low authority site and I've established that, I'll basically reverse it, bring up all the keywords that they show up for in one to 10. And then when I actually even put any of those keywords in, they're all like low competition because there's a low authority site ranking for it. So the only way they can establish that is by the keyword being of low difficulty. Yeah. So then I've got a list of these keywords. When I've got those keywords, I put those keywords into the tool and that brings up more sites. So the positions two, three, four, five are all going to be more low authority sites. And I just do that recursive process. And I just keep picking out keywords, keywords, keywords nonstop. So that's one way. That's probably the, the most beneficial way I'll teach anyone at the moment because it can get quite technical and confusing. That's great. I mean, you're looking at the signs that are out there in the world. You don't have to like recreate the wheel. And I know some mm. people really struggle to find the low competition keywords, but you're mm. literally going to uh, low authority kind of websites. And mm. just by definition, those are probably going to be the lower competition mm. keywords. So very even if you, if you set up filters, then, um, 
if you're reversing a website, say for example, and um, it's a low authority site, they're ranking for like, I don't know, a couple hundred keywords, but then they've got like about 25 in the top 10 and they're very niche specific to, to your industry. Well, what can happen is you can set up filters so you can filter it and say, okay, I only want to show keywords that are showing a hundred searches or above. So straight away, you've got a bunch of keywords that have over on average, according to the tool, as we know, is just like a ballpark figure, but you know that they have relatively okay search volume and they're easy to rank for. So it just plucks out all of those keywords from those sites. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it would be arguable, I think, to just ignore (laughs) the search volume as long as it's showing up on Mm. a keyword tool at all. Mm. You know, there is some amount of volume. Mm. So, And then just to kind of um, add in, at the end of that process or any keyword research process that I use, I'll always go and do a manual check last. So that's one thing that anyone who's taking information from this video, you need to remember is that once you've established the keywords that you're going to be targeting, you then need to go and manually actually check them and assess them to see who's showing up in the top 10. So I usually just go to Google, no tools, anything like that, assess the level of quality of content on the first ranking page. Are they bang on topic? All those different, you know, general practice things. Is there something that you see specifically where you decide, all right, this is a bad keyword? What are things you look for there? Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes if I see something that, again, like I use my intuition quite a lot. If it seems like something that I don't feel that people are searching a lot and it's showing me like a zero search volume, then I sometimes can be a little bit skeptical if I haven't got any data to, to give me evidence that that might have a potential. But a lot of the time, what I find with keywords, because right now I'm starting a site where I'm, I'm ranking a lot of zero search volume keywords. And that site, like, you know, I've only got like 14 articles on it and it's already getting like 3,000 visitors per month. Yeah. But, um, and, and they're, they're mainly like about 80% of the keywords are zero search volume. What I find with SEO and with anything is um, you need to just go out and test it. And that's all it is because everyone can give you all the different theories, but then you might have a different experience because your niche could be different or it's a different time of year and people are behaving different. So there's so many different things. So ultimately what I do is I just put the content out there and then wait for the results. And the way you assess that is through your rankings and traffic, you know, Google analytics and whatever else. So that's what I tend to do, you know, so I don't really have something that completely puts me off. Like, um, I'm, recently focusing a lot on silos and things like that. So if I see something of high competition, then I might say, okay, you know what, this is going to be like a new hub, you know, so and then I'm going to build sub pages under this, you know, so the only things that can veer me off is if I see these big authorities in, 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 in the top 10. And I'm thinking, you know what, that's like almost like a, a an impossible approach that I'm going to have to take, you know, it's, it's never going to happen. But in that scenario, I might still give it a chance, as I said, because you have to test. And I might say, you know what, I'm going to build out a, a load of um, sub pages that are completely low competition, but then I'm going to link them all up to that, that, that main article. Okay. And you, you mentioned a couple things uh, around content. So let's sort of hmm. shift in that direction. Hmm. So where do you get the content? Do you write it yourself or are you outsourcing it? Yes, I started off writing the content. That's how I started. Um, Now I outsource, like I share all of that on on the YouTube channel as well. 
because um, again, I test a lot. So, you know, right now I, f- I found one of my good writers, a lot of people don't like Upwork, but I found a really good writer on Upwork um, and she's brilliant. So I've had her on for about three months and um, she writes specifically for this website in question, the dog website. And um, then I've also got, I've used iWriter quite a bit in the past, um, but they, iWriter can be low quality, you know, a lot of the content. But I have got a method, again, of establishing good writers on that, using the filters that iWriter um, actually gives you. So you're able to filter out and, and get to the golden gems on, on that platform, which a lot of people don't use. They just go on there and order content and expect it to be good. Yeah. Um, so I look at all the past data of the, the activity of those people and whatever else. The other thing is um, I use ProBlogger. So like where I'm working direct with people um, and freelance, freelancer or whatever the uh, freelance platform's called. So I've got one writer from there who's really, really good as well. I, well, there's one that I'm working with personally that I've taken off there from a long time ago and another one that I've recently found. So predominantly at the moment, I'm really loving Upwork. And then I'm also using that freelance platform. But freelance, I wouldn't put on the same level as Upwork in regards to quality because you have to filter through a lot of crap to to get to the good. Do you know why people don't like Upwork? Because I love it personally. And I I know some people... It's convenient, I think, more than anything because you're able to just control like an entire kind of business... At, at your fingertips you know so you can you can have someone on, on on a contract like on a one-time payout or someone on an hourly wage and someone doing outreach like I've got like four people at the moment doing outreach for, for this same site and they're constantly updating excel spreadsheets so I'm just able to go in and say okay I want that link I want this and use this anchor text and whatever else and then I want you to pitch a different asking fee to whatever they've put across you know so they negotiate and do all those different things for sometimes as cheap as like $10 a month, sorry, $10 per hour. And um, in that scenario, where people go wrong, I think, especially when they're building links, is they don't understand anchor text ratios and they also don't understand how to vet the links. So I think that's how you can get cheap links because I'm able to vet the links. So I assess the websites that I'm actually getting the links from in the first place. Okay. And before we'll definitely come to the links, but I don't want to stray too far from the content before I forget everything I was going to ask you about. So you have some writers, various places. Can you tell us how much content is on the site, uh, sort of the average length for maybe certain pieces and just sort of overall what's going on? So this website currently has about 105 articles on it. As far as I remember, I've deleted some of the old articles. Um, I've rewritten some of them that were showing up in like the top 50 to 100. The other ones that were just not showing up in the SERPs, um, I've assessed them. Some of them were bad quality, so I just got rid of them because they're not showing anything, no traffic, anything like that. Um, yeah, then um, the average length, I would say, is about 2,500 words because a lot of these articles are. The, the way that I assess in regards to the length of content of wh- how long I write a piece of content is I will go and take the average of the top 10 ranking websites, you know, but now I'm digging into that a little bit further because I also use Surfer SEO. So I'm actually identifying the sites that are relative to mine. And then obviously it gives me a different average to if you just take an overall average of the top 10. So sometimes I'm only taking an average of like four or, or six out of the top 10 websites. 
All right. But they're all long, long, long content. Yeah. Okay. And then what's the breakdown, uh, sort of informational versus uh, affiliate product review type content? Okay. So this is one of the other switches that I'm making on the site at the moment. So it was predominantly focused, as I said, with an income school approach. So I had about 80% informational content and then 20% buyer intent. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, there was a stage where it was like eight, eight, almost no, about maybe 70 articles that, that were completely informational. So I've been making a switch and a transition with the site because I know that Google kind of sees you as they'll either bless you for buyer intent content and they'll see you as a review type website or they'll bless you for informational and you're a good resource for information. So I don't know how that's going to work out, to be honest. I don't know if anyone's really made those kind of transitions in the past, but that's part of what I share on the channel and what people love, you know. So I'm now trying to turn the site from... 80% 80% informational to 80% buyer intent, you know? So that's the transition that I'm making. Gotcha. And with that said around the silos and you mentioned hub. So can you sort of explain how you set it up in a, you know, a smart technical SEO way there? Yeah. So this is um, something that I've really been honing in on recently. Um, it was something that I never established on the site, first of all. So I've had to do quite a few redirects via the HT access file as well. But um, the way that I set up my uh, content now and, um, I was doing some research today and and it's given me so much information. Um, What I've realized is that some articles, like some hubs that that are composed of different articles within a certain topic can rank without even having an article on the topic. So I'm in the uh, dog space, like for this, it's a pet website, a dog website. And, uh, you know, if you type best dog food, um, you can see like uh, silo pages ranking without even having an article. So all they are is like, having a, a bunch of different lists of different dog foods for different dogs and breeds and whatever and they're relatively low competition but then what they've done is they've compiled that all into one page and then they obviously have hierarchy via the uh, permalink you know so what you want to do is select parent pages when you're building out these silos so the way i'll do that is i'll have one main article just say for example best dog food like that's something that you might never rank for but if you want to give yourself a chance this is the way that you could approach it. So I'll go and write the best dog food article. And then there's going to be all subcategories of that sub pages. So subtopics. So it'll be like best dog food for golden retrievers, best dog food for German shepherds, you know, or best dog food in summertime, whatever it may be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to go build out all these subtopics and you're going to establish a lot of trust and a lot of authority there because they're of lower competition you're going to find it a lot easier to rank and it might not require a lot of uh, links to, to rank those articles. But the whole process of my silo approach is to pass authority up to the main article and interlink strategically and on purpose to pass around link juice throughout all of those articles. So all of those articles, if my best dog food for golden retriever gets a link, that's still then passed up to the best dog food article as well. It's the only topic that I find it sounds confusing no matter how you simplify it silos because it's like a web it's trying to explain like a spider's web you know so yeah like 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 google's index <laughs> it is it is easier to see and exactly. i when i first you know started learning about yeah. this topic 
I, you know, did a ton of research like you're talking about and then wrote, a, wrote an article. So if people are interested on a niche site project, you can like look up WordPress silos and it sort of explains it. Mm. And I think, I think it could be a little confusing for people. Mm. And then you kind of have to architect this ahead of time. You gave a great example with the dog food. Um, so it's kind of clear to see you understand it's a subtopic mm. and there's a concept of like the, the virtual silo. So you're linking in a way like you would in an actual silo where you have parent pages and child pages, but in the virtual silo, you don't actually set up that hierarchy. You just link intentionally. So do, do you play around with the virtual silos or you just stick to the actual physical silos? I'm just doing the physical silo. So I'm actually selecting parent pages. You know, um, okay. but I understand the concept of that because you're just contextually linking like as you would with, with the parent page, but without having it in the permalink, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you end up, you know, when I, when I first learned about the, the silo concept, I tried to, I tried to do it. And then I ended up with like really long and weird URLs yeah. because yeah. I didn't name the uh the, the pages in a short yeah. short format okay. which yeah so you you realize that's, that's that, another thing yeah because that's a video within itself but when you're doing these parent pages that's another thing it, it needs to be something very short one or two keywords and very broad because then all your sub pages are going to build out the permalinks you know so it people probably already confused <laughs> at this point <laughs> watching the video you know but um yeah, so that, that's, that's what I've been doing recently anyway. And I think what the general approach is, is um, it's a lot different when you're building out a website using silos to just building a website because everything is very strategic and planned beforehand. So you're, you, you generally you're going to build out your biggest articles first and then build out everything underneath that. Whereas when you take a general approach, like when I started online, I was just building random articles like here, there and everywhere, you know, so it's a lot more strategic and you sometimes, I mean, I personally have it all in an Excel spreadsheet. So I know exactly what goes where and whatever else. Right. And, and I, the advice that I usually give people if they're starting out, like don't try to do the silo nah. um, cause you're going to, you'll fuck up the architecture yeah. <laughs> at the beginning and then you'll have to go back and fix it. Yeah. So um, if, if you don't know what very- it can be very painful because if you have to change permalinks and um, you're, you're already in the index, then Google has to re-understand that and you might have to resubmit the new URLs. It might not even rank where it was before. And Yeah, so. and you may have to 301 redirect if you had some links going to it. So yeah, yeah. just everyone keep it simple at the beginning yeah. and then you can make <laughs> it complicated later. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else with um, sort of the, the content side no, I mean, uh, generally I follow the basic rules. I go and assess the top 10 pages, see the subtopics that they're covering. I'll use the related uh, questions at the bottom of Google's page result. And then people also ask for tab to cover that as some of my H2 headings. And um, anything that I see missing from the top 10 articles, I'll try and like emulate what they have already because that's what's working and that's what Google wants to see. And uh, one of the biggest things I'm trying to do is establish search intent. You know, if you can answer the query, um, that's the number one thing you can do, you know. So that's what Google wants you to do. That's what you need to do. Um, Because ultimately, you can have all the backlinks in the world. And um, if you don't have good content, 
um, it won't convert, you know, and you'll eventually be ranked where you, where you deserve to be in that sense. You mentioned you had a few people working on, uh, you know, outreach and backlink. So yeah, what's your backlink approach? You, you mentioned, you yeah. know, folks like maybe income school, they, they're mm-hmm. like just publish content and, and just let the links come. So what's your approach? Yeah. So prior to this, um, a lot of people who, who make, watch this video um have seen that i don't really share a lot of backlink information on on my uh youtube channel so it's not what people are familiar with me doing but it's something that i I have been working on so i went and purchased the course that i learned everything that i know from is matt diggity's affiliate lab you know so that's that's where i've taken you know my information on backlinks i've tweaked it and changed it a bit because i don't have the kind of budget that that he requires for his strategy but uh my general approach is because one of my most important things is um the anchor text ratios you know it it needs to be balanced with what's already ranking in the serps so i use linkio for that i don't know if you've heard of that It, it it actually plugs into um onto Ahrefs, so it pulls all the data from Ahrefs API, and it basically suggests your links to you. So it doesn't tell you what links to build, like the authority or whatever else, but it will tell you the next like twenty anchors that you need to build. So it will actually give you like, okay, this one needs to be a target keyword, this one needs to be that, and the way you collect that information is you actually go and assess the top ten ranking articles for the specific keyword that you're trying to target and then it builds out an average of the anchor text so then you can see okay this one next one so the next link that you go and get it might need to be a branded anchor you know this one might need to be a different one so we'll actually i don't know i'll I'll actually show you that tool after if if you haven't seen it you've probably seen something similar and um then what I do is for the outreach process, um, I, I don't want that personally, I'm not going to go do all, all of the, the hard work of, of going out and reaching out to people and sending emails and all of that, you know, and using Ninja outreach and all that, because that's another expense that I have to take on or a lot of manual work when I can focus on content and editing and publishing, because I believe that's still the 80, 20 of SEO, you know? So um, I actually hire people, and then they have those tools and they go out and reach out. So my process is sometimes I'm going and seeing um, all of the websites that are linking to, just say, for example, I'm targeting best dog food, in, as I used it earlier. I'll go and drum that into Ahrefs, bring up all the sites that are ranking for it, and then download all of the links that are pointing to those sites Yeah, in the top 10 um, rankings. So that's one way. And then I'll obviously submit that Excel file to, to my outreach guys and they'll go out and reach out to those sites. So I can try and get some of those links. But I also use that Linkio tool to filter out like, you know, forums and like, say, for example, um, Web 2.0s and things like that. So it allows you to filter out and hone down to, to the core links that you need to get. So that's one thing. That's one process. The other process is that I sometimes just get them to go and do outreach just out within the industry, like within the niche, you know, so just to dog websites. Like, so there's a bunch of different dog websites and they're constantly just updating that because I've just got them on a contract. So they're constantly just doing it regularly. And then I just go and vet the links. So I'm making sure that, you know, it's got substantial amount of consistent traffic. 
making sure there's no unusual links pointing to the site or they're not doing any unusual practice. You know, sometimes I'm trying to see if I can see any PBNs pointing to the site or things like that, things that I might not want to get a link from. And I'm just generally vetting that website. One of the other things that Matt Diggity shares and he shares it publicly is um, he also uh, gives you like a, a, a formula to assess if uh, it's a link farm in that sense. So he goes off of like an average number, like a 0.12. And what you do is you take all of the outgoing links that they have and then the links that they have incoming and you, you basically divide them to get an overall ratio, you know? So if they got like a high percentage of outbound links opposed to links coming in, then it's a good indication that they're like a link farm and they're just selling links on that site, you know? But if it obviously doesn't breach that number, then it might be a good opportunity. So I'm looking at all those different things to make sure it's a natural, legitimate site. And then obviously I'll, I'll go and build that link using that linkier anchor text. Gotcha. With the that ratio, the inbound and outbound, uh, mm. what, what did you say you want the ratio to be, roughly? So like a 0.12, yeah, or, or, or above. Okay, so um, that's roughly, if I'm doing the math right, 0.12, so like 12% of the like in, inbound links are going outbound. I'm, I'm saying that incorrectly. Yeah, what, or what do I, I have want is I want the substantial amount of links to them to be coming inbound, yeah, opposed okay. to them building, selling, because if they're giving out a lot of links nonstop, then it's... Yeah a good indication that they're just selling links and that's the way they're monetizing that site, you know? So I want to have a legitimate site that's actually getting like inbound natural links coming in, you know, opposed to them giving out tons and tons of links, you know? Okay. And I'll try one more time. So if I do, we'll plug in real numbers. So Mm. if, if a site has um, 100 inbound links, you would want them to have no more than like 12, Outbound links? Am I doing on that average? Right? Yeah, that's right. If you were to put it into numerical form, okay, interesting. Because I, I think that's probably, I think that's I'll have to I'll have to find that reference because I'm like that seems crazy. I'm just thinking of like niche site project, for example. I'm pretty sure I have more like far more outbound links than that twelve percent number. So that must be a very high threshold. What we'll do is when we come off the call, we'll do a little co- equation using okay. it because I've got the exact formula and we'll, we'll see. But I, I'm okay. very highly unlikely that your site would come out to that because even sites that are of sometimes low quality still kind of meet that criteria, you know, and, they, and fail my test on or my vetting process on other areas. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Sorry if I confuse people there. Going back, so you have um, people doing sort of outreach to pretty prime targets based on where they're already linked to what, what kind of success are you seeing? How many links do you have to the site? How long has the team been working? And okay. So everything in regards to the link building process has been over the last like three months or so where I've been going heavily on it. Now, the reason why is as I explained um, earlier before we jumped on the call is I recently redirected the entire website. So the site was specifically on golden retrievers and it was doing pretty well at that point. And um, I decided, I don't know, I've got a wild hair up my ass or whatever it may be. And I wanted to expand the site into 
general dogs, you know, so I can just cover everything. So I wanted to make it an authority site, you know, so what I've done is I've redirected it and as expected, like everyone has seen and, you know, what I kind of projected anyway, is that it was going to take a dive. I knew that, you know, there's no way that I'm going to change everything and it's just going to be seamless. Um, but what did happen is all of the authority um, was passed over very quickly, you know, so I redirected it via the HT access file and um, the site, like all the old links have obviously are redirected now but the authority um, has, has been passed over as well. So the site currently over the, from that three month period has gone from like a DA one to a DA 18, you know, in that, in that time, which is a very short amount of time. Now on average, um, again, based on the kind of uh, criteria that Matt Diggity gives, um, he always, Traffic is, is is what kind of establishes how many links you can build. Yeah, in in my method. So, if you're getting like a thousand visitors per month, you can't go out and build like five hundred links. It looks unnatural. Yeah, because how is your site getting discovered um, at, at that scale if you're only getting a small amount of traffic? So the site still currently gets throughout this whole process about eighteen to twenty thousand visitors per month. Yeah. Um, prior to that, it was like at like thirty thousand visitors a month. And um, yeah, so what's happening is quite a lot of my uh, number one keywords, like my number one positions are now coming back as well. I'm seeing a lot of that and daily I'm, I'm getting substantial growth, you know, all the time. Um, the earnings have taken quite a dive, as, as I explained earlier, but I do believe that will come back up and, and surpass where it was. And um, I've been currently building just to keep it safe around two links per week. So not a lot of um, links. So I only build about eight links per month, you know, so it's not a lot. But as I said, obviously I could build quite a lot more based on the uh, criteria that he's given, you know, in regards to 10,000 visitors per month. I think it was like something you could build 50 links, um, 50 links a month or a week or something like that. I'd have to look at it. But in regards to that, obviously that's quite a substantial budget you'd have to have to invest into that. So most of my budget right now, I think I've spent since in the last three months, about $3,800 on just content, you know, so just really heavily on content. And then I've been plucking out two, two links a week and just hitting the site, like some of those articles and bringing them up slowly and try, well, trying to, you know, and that's it. So for roughly those two links per week, so eight mm-hmm. per month, do you have like a ballpark, like how much that's cost as far as your uh, VAs that are working on that? Yeah, no. So currently, like, to be honest, um, I don't have like a set amount that I'm willing to just work with or whatever. On average, um, these links, again, like they're not like high, high authority. We're talking like DA30s, DA40s at, at most, yeah, um, that I've been building. And I can get that for about $100, $150, things like that. Per, per link? Yeah, per, per link. Okay, got it. Okay. Great. Sometimes it's, it's a lot lower if, if they negotiate it because I also get them to, to, to potentially try and get, obviously, link insertions, you know, like niche edits. So sometimes they'll say, okay, this is the cost for, for a link insertion because they don't have to do much work. They just go and swap out a link on the article or this is the the cost for a guest post, you know? So sometimes I'm doing a guest post and sometimes I'm doing a link insertion, 
So the linking sessions, a lot of the time, I might get them on average for like $40, you know, $30, things like that. Got it. And I was just, as a side note, I know a lot of people, they, they don't even buy into link building. So I'm glad that you're, you're doing it. I know, I know Matt. So it, mm. I, obviously he's a link builder, you know, at mm. heart and enjoys I that. I think you can do SEO. it. Like if you're, if you, if you understand what you're doing, like if you're willing to learn and you understand then you can stay safe because ultimately, even when you just have a genuine site that just gets links naturally, you're, you're just essentially replicating that process so if, if you've got like a good amount of traffic and then he you know the way he teaches is that you hit it with some social signals then that kind of replicates the process of you getting established like some people you're getting this traffic you're now being shared on social media and now you're getting links you know so it's it's, it's like that natural progression definitely and you know you were like ah, i'm only getting a, a couple links here and there and matt encourages folks to you know throttle it down and make sure you're not getting more links than your site is warranting mm-hmm. uh, based on traffic which totally makes yeah. sense but the threshold that you gave is you know far more than what most people would even think about they don't even have the budget or the time to get that many links so yeah if you can get whatever 50 links per month that's a pretty decent amount yeah but when overall. when he teaches you that i mean obviously using his strategies because i never built up the site from the beginning using the methods that he uses usually obviously if you're getting the amount of traffic in in regards to the methods that he teaches if, you, if you're establishing those results then the site will give you that budget to obviously reinvest so you're ultimately just always making a reinvestment anyway right for the site that you moved over to, I guess the the domain, was it a, a brand new domain or did you uh, buy an existing blog or anything? Yeah. So the way this happened was really odd. Um, I thought it was a new domain, but it ultimately wasn't. It was an expired domain. Yeah. But it was being sold on GoDaddy as a new domain. And even when I purchased it, they didn't know like the customer service, they were kind of like up in the air and it took them like, I think two weeks to get the domain to me because they were like, oh, we don't really know. Like, you know, because I, I checked it on Wayback Machine and I could see that it had past history, but then it was being sold as a new domain. And they were like, we don't really know. Like, you know, it was being sold on another marketplace. It wasn't even being sold on GoDaddy. But then it was listed on there as well. So I don't know whether they're pulling data from somewhere else and they sell domains via like whatever. It was also available to purchase from, um, was it Namecheap that I use regularly? It was available on there and it was available on GoDaddy. So I don't know whether it's on like a central hub. I don't know exactly how that all works with domains, but it wasn't a new domain, but it was listed as a new domain. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really know though until I bought it. So after I bought it and it gave me like a message that I had never seen before, because I currently own like about 20 domains or something, like I've just bought a few and built, because I've built sites for other people and stuff like that in the process, just some freelance work and whatever. Yeah, so like it, it gave me a message saying, oh, you need to wait for a transfer of ownership over, over to me. So I was confused and I contact customer service and then they said, we don't know. You know, so they, they <laughs> said, we're not really familiar with what's going on. And then we established that that was the thing. So I was even scared thinking because I went and got a logo made and all these different things. And then they said, 
you know, I was I wanted to be sure that I was going to get that name, especially because it's a really cool name. You'll actually, I'll tell you what the domain is after you can see it. But it's a really cool name, really short. Like you, you don't really hardly get these names, you know. So I really wanted that domain, and I managed to get it in the end anyway. So I got it, and then I was skeptical about. Okay, now it's obviously repurposed. So is Google going to reward the site? And honestly, I couldn't have wished for anything better because within the first like you know three months, like I said, everything has been moving substantially. So I'm really, really happy. Awesome. A quick question on the sort of drop in earnings. So you said it was up to twelve hundred at one point. Yeah. Now it's down to two hundred. Is that all due to the domain transfer, or what else is in play here? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously Amazon cut their commissions, and it went down to about eight hundred per month at that point. You know, so that was the first hit. But then it never got hit by anything in regards to an update or anything like that. So there was no experience there. Predominantly, obviously, the content was um, informational. So I was really only making the affiliate commissions on only a small section of the site anyway. And then the other side of it has been with, monetized with Ezoic. So I make, I make the other part of the income from Ezoic ads. And that's continued to kind of stay steady from where it was before, to be honest. So that hasn't really changed. But um, it makes that overall number, though. This is what, what how I was getting to the twelve hundred or eight hundred and whatever else. And um, yeah, so now, like, I'm obviously more focused on just buying ten articles, and I'm still publishing at least one info con- piece of content per week. But then I might publish like five buying ten articles. Okay, so it's just sort of in uh, in limbo. There are a number of things that hit, and then it sounds like the Ezoic earnings have been roughly consistent. Yeah, roughly. I mean, it took a bit of a dive during the time when I switched the domain, everything went down because obviously Google has to one day say, okay, this is this name with this URL, then understand it. And within search console, you can submit a change of site and all these different things. And I was a bit worried to be honest, all at that point, because for me, like, you know, it's it's like, it's a steady income and then all of a sudden it's gone, you know? So, um, but it's all part of the testing and as I said, it's not the only site that I run because I still do like a bit of paid ads and things like that. So I still do dip my, my fingers in all of that. And that's where I'm getting the budget and things like that to throw at all of this stuff. Got it. And mm. I've seen when I've redirected and, you know, changed domains and stuff, usually yeah. about a month or so, it's like two to four yeah. weeks, like traffic will drop to almost nothing. And yeah. then it slowly, you know, catches up in the, in yeah. the um, SERPs. Cool. All right. Well, I think I'm curious about like your overall goal with, with this particular site. Where do you see it going? Okay. So, I mean, I, everything is under assumption at the moment because I have no evidence to say that it was, it would work. My first goal, which I came out with, which is, I wanted to get the site to $3,000 a month by, by the end of December, which is very highly unlikely to happen. Yeah. And the reason why I would say that is because of where I'm gauging where it's at at the moment presently. And then on top of it, um, I, I threw a spanner in the works. I wasn't supposed to change the domain name throughout because I was trying to do this as a case study. But personally, I can still document that journey because as long as the site hits it, whether it's next June or whenever it may be, people are still going to love it. They're still going to gain a lot of inf- um, valuable information from that. You know, So I'm still going to continue with it. I might just change and move the benchmark of the time length of how long I'll go at it for. 
But where I see the site is I want to establish the site as an authority within that space, you know, within the dog space. Yeah. So I already had written like almost everything on golden retrievers up until that point. Um, I'd say about 30% of the articles were hitting position one ranking. So quite a substantial amount of them, but they were informational pieces of content. So I was getting quite a lot of traffic, but obviously it wasn't rewarded in high amounts of income because, you know, it's only monetized with ads predominantly. And then even when you do target them, they're not like big, big traffic, like what you get from a, a dog uh, article, you know, it's, it's golden retriever specific articles. So I kind of maxed out within that space. Um, so now what my plan is, is to just broaden out and I'm now going into like, you know, general dog collars and harnesses and food and, you know, treats and all different things. And that's the plan to just basically build the site. And then if I can get it to $3,000 a month, which was the plan initially, then I was going to sell it. But who knows? Because if I get to that point, I might think, you know what, maybe I can push it a bit further, you know? So that's what I have to, I have to see. Very cool. And just as a thought exercise, I'm just curious, like if you had unlimited resources and you wanted to hit that $3,000 per month by December, what would you do? Unlimited resources and time. Unlimited resource. (laughs) That would be interesting. All right. Well, the first thing I would do personally, I I would take the easiest route ever because the site already holds a lot of topical relevancy within the golden retriever uh, space. I would, anything that I haven't covered, I would go and get written immediately because that almost instantly ranks for me. You know, anything I push out on um, golden retrievers ranks. And whilst I'm on that topic, before I answer that question, um, one of the things that I want to share in this video as well, which was quite interesting to find is when I made the change of domain name, I was trying to write like low competition um, info articles to, to kind of test the, the, the space, you know, to, to get my feet wet in the general dog industry. And I wouldn't even show up in the top 100. So I wasn't ranking at all. And I thought, oh, you know, the domain's got a problem. Something's not right. Like, because Google had already switched most of my articles over, like, and they were ranking again for my existing content. But any new piece that I wrote wouldn't show up. And I was thinking, I'm pretty good at keyword research. I know these are low competition keywords. So why are they not showing up? I'm using Surfer SEO. I'm optimizing them. Everything's on point. And then what I realized is I thought, ah, let me do a test and think, okay, let me write something about a golden retriever. I've, I've got boggled up all on this new thing. Let me write. And I never kind of understood topical relevancy. So I wrote this golden retriever article, got, went and found an easy to rank uh, question keyword. One thing that I have to do a lot of the time if I'm targeting golden retriever articles is I have to go and check if my site already ranks for it sporadically because sometimes like my other articles that are related to it, it I just show up randomly. So I had to make sure that I was completely clean, not in the top 100. Wrote the article straight away position 17 within like about 20 minutes of publishing. So that gave me evidence that I'm just relevant. Google see me as relevant on that specific topic about golden retrievers. So that gave me, obviously, then I knew, okay, there's nothing wrong with the domain. I just need to establish some content in that industry. So then over time since then, obviously, it hasn't been that long. I think it's been about a month or two. 
no, about a month or a couple of weeks, whenever it was. And um, all those articles that are targeted are every single one's ranking now. All the all the uh, general dog information. So I'm now starting to climb within that, you know. But um, what was the question again? Now I forgot it because I went so <laughs> off. Yeah. It was basically what what would you do if you had unlimited resources to hit $3,000 in yeah. like two months? Okay, yeah. So what I would do, um, because of the amount of traffic the site gets, I would definitely ramp up the links. Yeah, so I would get out as much content as I can because, as I said, I think that's where most of your effort should be focused. Personally, if I, if I had unlimited resources and I wanted to get there as fast as possible, I would go and use my reverse engineer method to find buyer intent keywords that are of low competition. And I would just hammer down on those articles and then build them all out in a silo and hit them with links. I would definitely step up my game on the volume of links that I'm sending to these articles. And, and that's what I would do and hope for the best. <laughs> that would be that's it. That's awesome. How many articles would you try and publish? Just again, if you're just like... If I could, oh, I mean, I, I don't know, as many as I could. You know, if it came into the hundreds, I, I would do that. But I mean, personally, I, I, you know, you want to use your resources well. So you don't want to just spend money. It needs to be still profitable if you were to sell the site. You know, you don't want to spend so much that it's not even rewarding if you sell it. So if I could publish and to get to that goal, what do I think that it would take me to get to that goal? Like how many articles? I would say I could get there in 50 articles, you know, based on the strategies that I use of local position keywords. Just the right ones. Very cool. And I like the idea of, you know, build out the silo, hit, you know, each of those child pages with links and then potentially boost up the whole silo. So very cool. All right. Well, any other uh, you know thoughts here before we uh, sign off? I don't have anything in particular, to be honest. Um, as I said, right now, I haven't even been publishing in the last week on YouTube because I've just been grinding every single day at this website because I really want to make it work. So I don't have anything to say. If anyone has any questions, a lot of people are now like familiar with me. Um, some of the more experienced guys are not, you know, because of the level I'm at, there's not much they can get off me you know, within reason. So a lot of the beginners are the ones who who kind of follow me. And um, like I said, it's not the only site. I've also built up other sites, you know, to to, to beyond the earnings that I've, I've mentioned with this one site. So I've got some level of experience and I'm a constant learner, you know, so I'm always learning and testing new things. Right on. Well, thanks a lot, Leon. Um, we'll put a link for everybody so they can check out your YouTube channel and um, dig in and you know follow historically what we've been talking about today. So yep. really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for watching. Thanks a lot to Leon. Definitely check out his YouTube channel so you could follow along with uh, the case study that we talked about today and his catalog of other material. I'm excited for some upcoming interviews, which most of these are updates. So I've been going back into the archive, realizing that I haven't talked to cool people in a while. So Duke, who I think he's been on a couple times, but 
he was able to uh, transition his affiliate site over to a drop shipping model. And he's pulling in a lot more money than he was before and has uh, what I believe uh, a bit more control over his uh, destiny versus just working with uh, the Amazon affiliate program. We're also going to hear from uh, Marcus pretty soon, who is a, a lawyer. We have Bo out there in Hawaii. We have Ben. We have Adrian an update from Christy and hopefully Charlie coming up soon. And I hope I can talk to Anthony, who I mentioned earlier, who I think within six months uh, bought a site, did some Haro link building, added content and hit, you know, $700 a month while his commission rates were cut back in April. So hopefully, like I said, I'm going to be getting a lot of updates from people that have been on the show uh, at least once, some people multiple times. Like I know Christy has been on like, I think four times at this point. So looking forward to that stuff. I hope we, I hope you are too. I want you to have a great day out there and we'll uh, catch you on the next episode.